Hey everyone, happy Father's Day. I'm so glad that you are here today. I'm actually in Arizona speaking at my dad's church this weekend. So that's gonna be fun for us, but you are in for a treat today, back by popular demand. We have brought in our friend Carl Romis. Uh, he's a pastor at Bayside Christian Church in California. He and his wife Jen have two daughters. He is an amazing communicator. And if you were here last summer, you got a chance to hear him. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and just so you know how great of a communicator he is, I am willing to share this stage with a Boston Red Sox fan. And that just tells you what Jesus has done in his life. So would you please put your hands together and help me welcome our friend, Carl Romas. Well, good morning, Abundant Life. It is such an honor and privilege to be with you guys again. Um, I'm just so blessed every time I get to get up here to the Pacific Northwest and, uh, and just hang out with you. What a blessed church you are. Um, know that I am in constant prayer for your lead, Pastor Jeremy, um, that the Lord will just fix his Yankee heart and uh, turn, him, turn him to the right side. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I do, I want, before I get going, I just do want to say, I want to say uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Uh, like Jared mentioned, I, I'm a dad of two beautiful little girls. They're uh, at the airport right now, heading back to Arizona, uh, back to California. Uh, and, and I just want to say to every dad in here, um, I know today is, is a great day for some, and, and for others it's not. But I just, I, you know, I literally just read this back, backstage. I want to tell you this message. Uh, dads, there's no guilt today. There's no guilt today. Uh, your job isn't to be perfect. Your, your job is to point your children and the ones that look up to you to the one that is perfect. And we celebrate dads and all men t- and men today. Uh, but the celebration for me truly in my heart uh, as this, is kinda, this, da- this day has transitioned for me over the last couple of years is to give thanks to my heavenly father who has always loved me, who has always cared for me in spite of myself, despite myself, meets me right, my, right where I am. So will we give the Lord a hand today on Father's Day? Thank you, Jesus. If you got your, your notes out, you can write this down. I've titled this message, Problems and Promises. Problems and Promises. Uh, who knows when you have kids, they will hold you to a promise. <laughs> and all the parents said, amen, right? You know, we, we've, we've, we've been here uh, for the last couple days, and my daughter, my, my eight-year-old, Georgia, it's every time we say we're going to do something, and, and, and I'm a dummy. My wife calls me the Disneyland dad because I'm like, you can have anything you want. Literally, last night, it's like 9 o'clock, and the waitress comes over like, do you guys want ice cream for the kids? I'm like, of course we want ice cream for the kids. You know, then we're going to a hotel, and Jen's like, why would you give them ice cream? I'm like, I don't know. Like... Uh, kids want ice cream. But like, I'll promise my daughter Georgia something, and for the next, you know, five hours or so, she'll be like, Dad, you promised we're going to do that. You promised we're going to do that. When are we going to do it, Dad? When are we going to do that thing that you promised? You promised, you promised. When are we going to do it? And I said, Georgia, we will, when we're doing it, you'll know because we will be doing it at that time. <laughs> Until then, shut up. <laughs> That's what I say in my heart. I don't say it out loud. But promises are funny things. Promises will, they'll latch on in our headspace, they'll latch on in our heart space. And there's so much power behind a promise. There is so much power behind 
a promise. But if we're being honest, oftentimes we don't give as much power to the promise as we give power to the problem. You find yourself in a season, you find yourself in a difficulty, you find yourself where, where it just seems like too much, and all that power shifts to the problem. You've maybe heard this old adage, there's a man walking along and uh, he falls into a hole. And he's in the bottom of this hole and he's like, help, I'm in a hole. Because that's what you do when you're in a hole, you yell for help. Uh, help, I'm in a hole. And, and, a, and a, a doctor walks by and the guy's like, help, I'm in a hole. And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down the hole. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. And the doc keeps walking by. And then a priest walks by, a priest, not a pastor. A priest walks by, and that's my way of kind of getting myself off the hook. Uh, a priest walks by, and, and the guy's, help, I'm in the hole. And the priest uh, writes a prayer on a piece of paper and throws it down the hole. And keeps walking. And the guy's like, okay, not much help. And then the, friend's, the man's friend, Joe, walks by. He's like, Joe, I'm in a hole. And Joe jumps in the hole with him. And he's like, dummy, what are you doing? You jumped in the hole with me. And Joe looks at him and goes, I know, but I've been here before. And I promise you, I know the way out. See, there are instances in life, there are times in life where you're going to find yourself at the bottom of a hole. You're going to find yourself in, in a situation that seems too big, too grand for you. And what's going to help you get out of that situation is knowing that there's someone who has been there before. And someone who has an answer, someone who has a promised answer to get you out of it. Here's why I love Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ left the throne of heaven, came down to earth, put on flesh and bone, and became God incarnate. Fully God, yet fully man. So that you and I would never have to question, does he know what it's like to be me? Jesus put skin on so you would never have to question does he know what it's like to be me he knows what it's like to be you and he wants to point us to a way out of those dark seasons those difficult seasons those overwhelming seasons in our life he wants to give us access to his power the big idea this morning is this there is power in the promise there is power in the promise to help us get there. I want to look at a narrative in Mark chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the second of the Gospels, the stories, the, the, the accounts showing the life of Jesus. Why I love Mark is Mark is like the man's gospel. Here's why Mark is the man's gospel. Men, are you ready for this? Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, so we can read it, okay? Uh, <laughs> Mark is, Mark is the gospel all about action. You'll see words like immediately. You'll see words like now. Mark is actually written, most theologians believe, from the perspective of Peter, the apostle, Peter, the disciple. So Mark is like the action-packed gospel. It's like the Michael Bay version of the gospels. And here in Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read a text for us in a moment. It's a longer text. But there's a, a, an account that happens where this man named Jairus, who's a synagogue leader, so this is like a church leader, kind of a, like a deacon he would, be, he would have been. And Jairus is a man of much. Jairus is a man of esteem. He's a man that people know him in the community. And here Jairus comes to Jesus because Jairus has a problem. And he seeks Jesus to help, to ask Jesus to help him with his problem. 
But in the midst of helping Jairus with his problem, a woman who's been suffering for quite some time with an illness, a physical illness, also seeks Jesus with a problem. And what I love about this is Jesus points to them and points to us how he answers and deals with our problems. But I want us to understand it through this framework first. I want us to understand this passage through this framework as we're reading it. Is problem is what we face. The power is what Jesus did or what Jesus will do. The promise is what Jesus says, what God says to us in his word, and the practical is how we respond. The problem is what we face, the power is what Jesus says, what Jesus does or did, and the promise is what Jesus says in God's word, and the practical is how we respond. If you've got a Bible, analog, or digital, open up to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 21, and it reads like this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her. So, Can I tell you guys something? I'm going to pause right here. Sometimes I'll read scripture. This just happened to me. Sometimes I read scripture and I don't see something and I've read it dozens and dozens of times. That's the power of God's word. Literally, as I'm reading this to you guys, there's something I've never seen in this passage that just bubbled up to me. You guys are thinking, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. You got to read it yourself. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. I'm going to underline this. Uh, verse 23, he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd um, followed and pressed around him. And the woman who was, excuse me, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she, when she heard that Jesus when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the, in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. He turned around to, in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people, you see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told him the whole truth. She, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in he went in and said to them, why all the commotion and the wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother with the disciples who were there with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithia kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get 
Immediately the girl stood up and began walking around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her some mac and cheese to eat. Because <laughs> that's what you do with a 12-year-old. The problem is what we face. The power is what Jesus does. The promise is what Jesus says in his word. The practical is how do we respond. This is a three-part story. This is a three-part account where Jairus, the synagogue leader, is going, and now he's on his, he comes to Jesus, he approaches Jesus, and something happens. Jairus approaches Jesus the way that many of us do. Jairus approaches Jesus with his problem, and his problem is the present. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. There are moments in our life, there are moments in our coming and our going where we can't see past what's happening right in front of us. We can't see past the stack of bills. We can't see past the repossession. We can't see past the sickness in the body. We can't see past what's going on. And you're saying to yourself, it took enough all the strength that I had just to get here. I can't be thinking about anything else. And that's Jairus. His daughter is dying. She's not just sick, but she's dying. So you've got to imagine for a moment that this synagogue leader, this man of much, this man of means, his money doesn't mean anything. His position doesn't mean anything as he's gripped by the realities of life and death. And this probably means his daughter's been sick for some time. And here he is faced with a last-ditch effort. This is the Hail Mary. He hears about this holy man. He hears about this Jesus, and he comes to him. That's maybe some of you this morning. This is your last-ditch effort. I've tried it on my own. I can't see Past what's going on in my head space, in my heart space, in this doubt, in this struggle that I find myself in currently. Jesus, would you step in? And Jesus does. Jesus exhibits his power. His power, which is accessibility. Jesus says, I am accessible to you right now. I will meet you exactly where you are, exactly how you are. Jesus went with him. Jesus doesn't say, how'd you get here? Jesus doesn't say, why the doubt's like this? Jesus doesn't say, why your fun's like this? Jesus doesn't say, why the bank account looks that way? Why is the relationship like this? Why is your son and daughter gone this way? Jesus doesn't ask any of this question. He goes, there's a problem. I will answer that problem. I will make myself accessible to you. We have a God who's accessible. He's not far away somewhere. He's not hiding out. He doesn't live in temples. He says, I am right here, right now. That's what separates him from all other gods, the power of accessibility that he makes available to us. And the power is in the promise. The power is in this promise where he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who's in a ditch, everyone who's in a hole, everyone who's in a situation this morning where life is too big, where life is too much, where you are overwhelmed, where your spirit is downcast, Jesus says, call on my name. 
and you will be saved. You will be rescued. You'll be saved from your doubts. You'll be saved from your anxiety. You'll be saved from your sickness. You'll be saved from your moment of trepidation because I give you access to myself and access to the Father. Jesus doesn't say rich people, poor people, black people, white people, Democrats, Republicans, everyone. Everyone who calls on, thank you for that, one person preaching. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the practical. Summon Jesus. Just call on him. Don't try to make it yourself. Don't try to figure it out. Call on the name of the Lord. When you find yourself trying to figure it out, when you try and find yourself overwhelmed with what's going on right now, call on the name of the Lord. This morning, ready? Because I'm not a perfect person. I'm just somebody up here. This morning, before I even did anything, I don't do this most mornings, but I, and I should, but I rolled out of bed, and the first place I ended up was on my knees. And I asked God, Lord Jesus, do today what I cannot do myself. Do today what I cannot do myself. Fathers, men, look at me in the eye. I want you to get this. The greatest thing you could do every day for your family is get on your knees. Get on your knees and stay there until God says get up. Until God gives you the gumption and the strength and the courage to get up. That's why I take the posture of being on my knees. Not because it's holy, not because it makes me grander than anybody else, because it's a reminder to me that the only way I'm gonna stand up is if God says get up, if God gives me the strength to get up. And I do that from the power of being, that he is accessible to me, that the living God dwells within me. So Jairus says, come on, come on. And Jesus goes with him. Remember back in the day when you had a question or you had a problem, a question of like what time it is? Remember what you did back in the day when you had a question of what time it was? You would pick up a phone, not a cell phone, but a phone like connected to the wall. <laughs> Young people, at one time, phones were connected to walls, a bizarre time we lived in. And you would dial a number, right? And someone who was sitting in a cave somewhere had clocks all around them, and you'd be like, what time is it? And they'd be like, I don't know, it's 12.30. Thank you. And you'd hang up the phone. That's how we got the time at one point in our lives, right? We called somebody and we said, I need the time. Or we wanted to know what, what, what movie was playing. Some of you were from the ancient times where you had to like have a newspaper and it would have the, the times in there. But then, then we advanced and it was like you could call, you know, 555 film or whatever it is. And it's like someone would tell you, this is the movie playing at this place. The kids are like, what? They don't know how, what? How, how did this work? Right? And then anybody remember Ask Jeeves? Anybody remember Ask Jeeves? Yeah, you wasted a lot of time at work with Ask Jeeves. Just asking all types of questions to the internet. Then we had Google, and then came Siri, and she knows everything, and then Alexa lives in our homes, and she's doing her own thing, right? Like, when we need answers, like, Alexa, how big is Mount Everest? You know, Alexa, how long would it take me to climb Mount Hood? Too long, that's why you're never going to do it. Like, it's like... We need answers, and we seek out those answers. We're ready for the biggest answers in our life. Is our Heavenly Father accessible to us? Would you summon Jesus? 
Not like genie. There's no Will Smith popping out of a bottle, like kind of thing. But would you summon Jesus say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And Jairus does just that. So they're heading to Jairus' home. But then there's an interruption. An interruption. Well, some people saw it as an interruption. Jesus saw it as an opportunity. Can I give you a little side sermon for free? Here's a side sermon for free. Sometimes there are going to be interruptions in your life, but see those interruptions as an opportunity for God to show up. There's going to be an interruption in your life. Men, this one's for us because we're task-oriented sometimes. Uh, and, and it's going to seem as an interruption, but it's actually an opportunity. And it comes in big forms. It comes in little forms. Sometimes the, the most beautiful interruptions in my life are my two little girls. They're, what might seem like interruptions are an opportunity for me to show them the love of God by reading that story with them, by pushing them a little, by pushing them a little bit on the swing, by, by walking instead of running, by putting, the self, by putting my cell phone down, by looking them in the eye. You want to know something that's going to change your, your kid's life or your spouse's life or somebody that's important to you? Look them in the eye. You spend a few minutes with somebody telling them, listen, I care for you. I love you. Jesus got a plan for your life. You look them in the eye. That goes a long way long way. That one's for free. Let's move on. <laughs> They're walking along. They're walking along and this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years. So she has a physical ailment that has made her spiritually, emotionally, um, socially, economically bankrupt. She's got nothing left and she's a woman and she's the lowest of the low. In the first century world, if you were a woman, your rights were lower than that of a slave. If you were a woman who was not married, your rights were even lower. If you were a woman who didn't have a kinsman, your rights were even lower. If you were a woman that was, had an affliction in the body that made you unclean in the ceremonies of the temple that made you even lower. So this woman is in the lowest of the lows in society. She has a problem. Here's her problem, the past. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You ever try to fix the problem on your own, and instead of that problem getting better, it only gets worse? Anybody ever try to fix the problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife a couple weeks ago was like, hey, fix the uh, shower head in the bathroom. And I said, yeah, I can fix that because I'm a man. <laughs> so I go to Home Depot, and uh, guys, this is a little life hack. You want to seem like you know what you're doing at Home Depot? You walk in, just grab two pieces of lumber, put them on your shoulders. <laughs> People think, like, this guy's a genius. Here you go. He's probably going to build something. So I'm walking around Home Depot with the lumber on my shoulders, like, yeah, I'm a man. Don't worry about it. I don't need help. I'll find it. I'll find it. So I find this shower head 45 minutes later, and uh, I, take it, I take it home, and I, I start putting the, the, the shower head on the shower head situation, and... Uh, I look at the box, and the shower head looks like the thing on the box. So I'm like, this is done. So I turn the water on. Water goes everywhere. But the shower head stayed in place. So I said, hey, this is fixed as far as I'm concerned. And I moved on with my day. <laughs> A little while later, Jen and the girls, Jen's giving the girls showers, and I heard screaming and yelling, and I run to the bathroom. They're covered in water. She's like, I thought you fixed it. I said, it's up there, isn't it? <laughs> I tried to fix it, and it only got worse. And it's still broken. Literally, we have like a bandana tied around it. It just, somebody else's problem. Uh, I don't shower in there. <laughs> and that's the, the situation this woman finds herself in. She spends everything she got and instead of get, get, everything she has, and instead of getting better, she only grows 
worse. But then Jesus says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to show you the power of grace. Because Jesus is graceful. He's full of grace. This woman reaches out to Jesus, a superstition in the first century, first century Palestine said, if you touch the clothing of a mystic, if you touch a cloak of a holy person, and that's what she thought Jesus was. She thought Jesus was a mystic. She thought he was a holy person. But she had just a little bit of faith dressed up in superstition. And she touches his cloak. And at once Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched me? He knows who touched him, but he's asking anyway. And Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, only four times in the New Testament is the word daughter used. Does Jesus use the word daughter? Only four times in the New Testament. It's showing you the, the limited number, showing us that it's key. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In an instant, Jesus frees her. She was physically already, free, uh, already healed, but now Jesus frees her from all the other parts of her life that are bankrupt. Socially, economically, spiritually. He says, I am freeing you for all those things. But in this passage right here, something huge happens. Salvation happens in this passage. You got to key in because you got to watch. Salvation happens in this passage. A salvation story happened because this woman, even though it's a little bit of faith, she has faith. That's belief. And then she submits herself to Jesus. She fell at his feet. That's submission. And then she told him the whole truth, confession. And look at that. What happens? Four words later, he says, daughter, inheritance. Belief, confession, submission, salvation. My grace is sufficient for you. You know what blew me away earlier in the passage? Look at this. It said that Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Something happened then too. He says, I'm full of grace. I don't care what your past is. I don't care who they said you are. I am going to tell you who you are. You don't have to wish. You don't have to guess. Just lean into me with even a mustard seed amount of faith and watch what I do with it. Just a little bit and watch what I will do to it. It's amazing what happens underneath the surface. It amazes me what happens in the quiet and dark spaces of our heart when we open it up to Jesus. The Chinese bamboo is one of the, most, is one of the strongest, most durable plants on all of planet Earth. It is used all around the world for construction from homes to bridges because of its strength, but also because of its length. Up to 150 feet, 120 feet, uh, some of them will grow to. What's interesting is when this seed is planted for the Chinese bamboo, it would lay dormant. 
You can water it, you can till it, you can love it, play music to it, do whatever you want. One year, nothing will happen. Year two, love it, play music to it, water it, care for it, sing to it, nothing. Year three, nothing. Year four, it will lay dormant. Nothing happens. But on the fifth year, that seed in a matter of 60 days can sprout up to 120 feet in 60 days because something was happening below the surface. Listen, God develops us in the dark. God develops us in the dark. In the darkest season of this woman's life, God was developing her face little by little. And he gives this promise to her and to us. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Listen, if you make much of me here, when it comes to the eternal, I will make much of you there. I will take the little bit that you have right now and I will multiply in abundance. So what do we do? Practically speaking, we sacrifice for Jesus. Sacrifice for Jesus means I am going to stand up for Jesus. I am going to stand out for Jesus even when it's not comfortable, even when it's not convenient. I am going to say, listen, I don't care what other people say about me. My assurance is on what Jesus says about me. And that's what this woman did. She reached out and Jesus healed the darkest, most broken part of her. Because she was willing to sacrifice. What are you willing to risk for your breakthrough this morning? What are you willing to risk for your breakthrough? Are you willing to risk maybe people looking at you a little different? Are you willing to risk maybe people questioning? Are you willing to risk to put yourself out there? Because here this woman is out in front of everybody. I got a problem. You all already know I got a problem. Hey, can I give you a newsflash? Ready? Everybody else already knows you got a problem. That little problem that you have that you don't think anybody else knows, everybody else knows you got that problem. You could spend about 10 minutes with me and you'll have a list of Carl's problems and I'll be like, yup. Are you willing to risk that for your breakthrough? She was and Jesus offered her life eternal. So now Jesus is still on his way to Jairus' house. And they come to him and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Forget about it. Little girl's dead. It's over. Stop wasting the master's time. Stop wasting his time. That's what your critics will often tell you. Stop wasting the master's time. Stop wasting Jesus' time. Stop wasting God's time. You are too far gone for him. That's the problem. The problem is the future. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? He went and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, Scripture tells us. Stop asking people to believe in something that's not a conviction in their heart. They're not going to do it. They won't understand until we show the love of God to them in such a radical way that they go, there's something different about you, that you're loving me in spite of, despite of who I am, there's something different in you. And then we offer them the good news that is found in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. and then the gospel becomes truth. But until then, be prepared for your critics to laugh at you, because they laughed at Jesus, the Son of God. Then he continues, 
He took her by the hand. He goes into the room with three of the disciples and the mom and the dad. He goes in the room. He took her by the hand. He says, Talithia kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. This word get up is the same word used in other parts of the scripture for meaning risen, for talking about resurrection. Jesus says, little girl, I say to you, resurrect. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, I have resurrection power in me, and now I put that resurrection power into you. In a few short weeks, in a few short months, I'm going to show, God's going to show resurrection power in me where I will raise from the dead. So in this moment, what might look like an infinite problem, I tell you, it's a temporal thing. What might look like an infinite problem for you, Jesus saying, listen this morning, I am telling you, it's just a blip on the radar. There is no emergency in heaven this morning. There are no alarm bells going off, no matter, and I'm not saying that lightly, no matter what you're facing, Jesus is up in heaven this morning like, oh my Lord, oh my dad, look at what's going on. Look at what's going on down there in the Pacific Northwest. What are, we, what are we supposed to do about that? What are we supposed to do, God, Dad? Peter, Paul, come take a look. No, because he's like, I got this. I got your present. I got your past. Best believe I have your future. Daughter, I tell you, get up. Ready? Book of action. Immediately, she stood up. And began to walk around. She was how old? She was 12 years old. How old was, uh, how many years had that woman suffered? 12 years. That's not coincidence. Scripture's pointing to us of how much God cares for us in the intricacies of our life. That God healed both of these women. One publicly, one privately. But he restored both of them. He restored both of them to a standard to a standard where, where, where now amazement was seen by this woman who was bleeding, and now people, her life now became a testimony. Her life now became a story for others to go. I saw Jesus do that, but this little girl, you know what? Jesus does it privately, and he goes, don't tell this to anybody. You know why? My friend Chris Brown says like this, because no one wants to go to a dance with a dead girl. No one wants to go to a dance with a dead girl. And Jesus is so faithful. He is so loving. He goes, don't tell any about, anyone about this because I care so deeply about her future. She's just starting her life. I care so deeply about her future. I want there to be promise and hope. If you're a young person in this room, look at me in the eye, and you've done something that you feel like makes you too far gone for Jesus. Maybe it's been something of purity. Maybe it's been something of addiction. Jesus cares so much about your future. He's like, would you confess that into me? Would you confess that into me and watch me give you the rest of your life? There are some of you who don't have that much life left. Newsflash. But you're still holding on to something of your past. And Jesus says, would you give me the remainder of your future? Because I promise life in abundance on the other side of the cross. Would you trust me with all of that? And look at the promise that he gives to all of us. This is our promise. You do not have to wait for the end. I am right now. Resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? 
Do you believe that the Son of God loves you so very much that he wants to give you life in abundance, resurrection life? He wants to take those of you who are spiritually, emotionally, physically, socially bankrupt, and he wants to restore every part of your life. Jesus is saying to me, would you sacrifice for me? Would you summon me? Would you stand for Jesus this morning? Would you stand for Jesus Christ this morning? Because 2,000 years ago on a cross, he stood for you so that you would have access to a God who is greater than any situation we can ever find ourselves in. So when the critics laugh, when it's uncomfortable, when it's inconvenient, I'm going to say greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. I have a God who loves me. I have a God who gives me access to the Father. I have a God who tells me and shows me over and over again, there is power in the promise. And this morning, you have the promise of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. What are you going to do to access that power? Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends here that they wouldn't be held on to their past, that they wouldn't be holding on to their present they wouldn't be holding on to their future but they would put it all into your hands and by your goodness by your good news may they summon you may they sacrifice for you may they stand for you when it's inconvenient when it's uncomfortable may you show up like you always do we love you we thank you in christ's name all god's people said